This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so glad you've joined us for our service today and for this ministry opportunity. Thank you very much, and I hope we are a blessing to you, and I hope you'll continue to tell your friends about this ministry. Our scripture lesson today comes from John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Would you hear the word of God? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Hebrew called Bethsaida, which has five porticos. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew him, he had been living there a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his pallet and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who was cured, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, The man who healed me said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn where there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this day. We are grateful we have the opportunity of coming to you again, and we ask that you would make this service a blessing to someone, and we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. Amen. Do you want to be healed? What a strange question that is. As a matter of fact, I can't believe Jesus asked it. He asked it of a man who had been ill for 38 long years. 38 years signifies the fact that it looked like it was a permanent condition. When I think about this man, I can almost see him crawling with his useless limbs and feet, trying to get to the pool. It was a common belief that when the water was troubled, an angel had touched the water, and the first person there would be healed. I can see this man trudging along, trying his best to get there. Just about the time he reaches the water, suddenly, Another needy person, with the help of some friends, is placed in the water ahead of him. Then I could just see this man struggling to get back to the place that we would call the dreary familiar. And yet Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? I remember when I was going through the Doctor of Ministry program at the Candler School of Theology, one of the assignments was to have a meal at a place where older people were ailing. The instructor wanted us to understand what it really meant to be handicapped. So there we were, seated around the table. Some people had stoppers in their ears so that they couldn't hear. Some people had blindfolds on their eyes. Some people were tied to the chairs. Some people had to sit on their hands. And you know what happened, our hands went to sleep. It was very difficult to communicate and to eat. There is no question about that. Now, undoubtedly, that is not the real thing. 
but it did help me to understand something of the plight of the handicapped. And I will always be grateful for that experience. Do you want to be healed? No person or situation is beyond the reach of Christ's healing love. Where do you think if you were there that first day at the feast, where would you have looked for Jesus? The obvious place is the temple. We will remember Jesus being in the temple as a 12-year-old boy. And when his parents found him, he asked, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But like the writer of the Interpreter's Bible, personally, I think I would have looked for him among the porches of Bethsaida with the invalids and the ill. Among those porches, there was one real ill man who had been ill for 38 long years. Right here, we have the greatest and grandest message of the Christian faith. It is a message that needs to be proclaimed in every pulpit, in every church, in every land, every Sunday. And that message is, not only is there power in the blood of Jesus Christ to save us from sin, but there is power in the Son of God to lift us up out of our illnesses, our bindings, whatever they are, and set us free. Now, there are many different ways, for sure, that we're set free by the grace of God. I remember reading about Bruce Larson. He said he got deathly sick at a religious meeting in Bloomington, Illinois. He said he felt like he had influenza, but he was so sick they immediately put him in the dormitory in the men's area. He said within an hour, six people, six people had heard about his illness and had come to offer whatever help they could. The first one brought oil and wanted to anoint his body. The second knelt beside his bed and offered intercessory prayer. The third was a doctor. He felt his pulse and then gave him some aspirin and assured him it would probably be over in 24 hours. The next person came and brought him food, which was probably the least thing he needed. The next person came and just simply talked to him, expressing concern. But the most fascinating person was a Finnish masseur. This Finnish masseur gave him a massage and sang hymns in Finnish. Now, what was the result of all these therapies? Bruce Larson said he was healed within the hour. But he said he couldn't tell you which one of these people healed him. God probably used all of these means to heal him. Now, that's how God does it. God heals us in many different ways, all by his acts of grace. But I think we need to understand that God does not always heal us physically, physically. That's a misnomer that we have in our culture. Edmund Stimley, who was a one-time professor of homiletics at Union Theological Seminary in New York, helps us when he said this, the power of God is not primarily a resource to get us out of pain and suffering and death. Every temptation our Lord had to meet was in one way or another a temptation to escape suffering and death. Yet we continue to think of God's power almost exclusively in those terms. Of course, it's understandable, and particularly when we're concerned about the suffering others have to endure. But the strange answer from the New Testament is not that I will save you from these things, but lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the guarantee of our faith is not freedom from pain and suffering. The guarantee of our faith is companionship. And what was true of Jesus in the New Testament 
is unquestionably true of God in the Old Testament. The Jewish people did not experience God first as the powerful creator or the great ruler of the universe. They experienced him first as being with them. In other words, they experienced him being with them in the deliverance from Egypt. They experienced the promise of his presence at the covenant at Sinai. They experienced his presence in the wilderness. In other words, when they first experienced God, they experienced him as being with them with them. Whatever our situation, Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. My wife and I have a friend. Her name is Agnes. We spent a lot of time with Agnes through the years. Whenever we would have joys or sorrows, Agnes was always there. When my son got married, she was there. When my daughter got married, she was there. When my father died, she was there. When my stepmother died, she was there. Now, Agnes wasn't saying a lot, but Agnes was there. And so the guarantee of our faith is not freedom from pain and suffering. The guarantee of our faith is companionship. Lo, I'm with you always to the conclusion of the age. No personal situation is beyond the reach of Christ's love and healing. And then secondly, do you want to be healed our attitude plays a crucial part in our healing. Jerry Kramer was a great football player who played for the Green Bay Packers. He once said that his coach, the great Vince Lombardi, was a great spiritual healer. And he said he took not second place to Oral Roberts or any other healer. He said that Vince Lombardi, his coach, could walk into a training room the people would be in there, and he would say, what the blank are you people doing in here? None of you people are hurt. And he said immediately that training room would be emptied. Everybody would be healed if it were only that simple. If it were only that simple. But our attitude plays a crucial role in our healing. Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no person to put me into the pool when the water is troubled. While I'm going another steps down before me. You know, there's something to just being in the porches of life. It's so much easier just to stay where you are. It's so much easier just to drown in your own self-pity. Let's think about this man who had been ill for 38 years, nearly 40 years. I would imagine by now that his heartstrings were beginning to face the reality of the situation. He was probably beginning to think, Nothing's ever going to change. I'm always going to be this way. So he was probably beginning to have some self-pity. Don't you imagine that if he had really tried to get in that pool, he could have gotten there first if he wanted to. He would have just sat there by the side of the pool, and then when the water was troubled, he could have just fallen in. But for some reason, I believe he probably became content in his self-pity. A friend of mine said he had a little dog, and the little dog barked, as if he wanted to go out when he got to the door. The dog didn't want to go out. He wanted my friend to go out. So much for self-pity. Do you want to be healed? It's a valid question. Ann Turnage is an inspirational figure that lives in Houston, Texas. She has overcome one big battle, the battle of cancer. She is a cancer survivor. But she has started a ministry of trying to help others with cancer. In other words, she's tried to help those with cancer and their families. She's developed something called CanCare. 
And at the first National Banquet of Cancer Survivors, she made a speech. And she said something truly great. She said, attitude is your paintbrush. It colors all your situations. Attitude is your paintbrush. It colors all your situations. Let that soak in. Bernie Siegel described a man who was on his deathbed, but he got much, much better. Someone asked him about it. He said, John was just too busy living to be sick. He was talking about his attitude. I have a friend who lives in Dallas, Texas. Larry Althouse is his name. He's a pastor. He's written a book, and his book has to do with the rediscovery of the gift of healing. He has a chapter in that book called Portrait of a Patient. And he has several suggestions for us if we want to be healed. And I just want to mention these suggestions. Seek the meaning of your illness. Sometimes the only way God can get through to us is through illness. Sometimes we have to wind up on our backs before we can look up to understand anything. Secondly, make whatever changes are necessary. Sometimes through our illness, God tells us we have to make some changes in our lifestyles. And then thirdly, develop a healthy attitude. Don't let anybody define you as a patient. If you start thinking that you're a patient before long, you're going to permanently think you're a patient. What we need to do is see ourselves as whole persons, not patients, but whole persons. And then fourthly, build your spiritual support. When you're ill, it's no time for you to leave the church. It's no time for you to stop studying the Bible. It's no time for you to stop praying and being in small groups and sharing and caring. This is a time when you really should redouble your efforts in every way you can. And finally, use meditation as an aid to healing. Do you want to be healed? No person or situation is beyond the reach of Christ's caring concern. And our attitude is a major way we can deal with our illnesses and move toward health. Now, I want to thank you for joining me in this message. Tonight, we have a very special thing. We have an interview with a young man named Carson Hand who developed cancer and is now a cancer survivor. And I just want you to listen to his testimony, and then I hope you'll join us each and every week. Thank you. Today, my special guest is Carson Hand. Carson Hand is an outstanding musician, and he's a rising senior at the University of Georgia. I had the special privilege of being his pastor for 14 years, and I know him to be a dynamite Christian. But I have him on the program today because he's a cancer survivor. And I thought it would be interested for you to hear something of his testimony in these questions. So Carson, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Bray. I would also like to ask you, when you were first diagnosed with cancer, what were some of the most difficult things you faced? Well, I think anyone that's diagnosed with cancer obviously is, is in a state of shock or in a state of disbelief um, and very, very nervous, very anxious, very scared about what they're facing. And I think that's magnified for a child, for a 16-year-old. Um, I had always been a very healthy person, never had any health problems. And so when this, when this hit, it was very shocking to, to everyone. And I think the initial emotions that were felt were a little bit of shock. Uh, that was kind of difficult to get over the, the the fact that 
I was being faced with a, a life-threatening illness. And I don't know that that really ever completely sunk in the, how severe the situation was. But I think getting over that initial, you know, finding out that I had it, uh, and then as well as getting over the physical uh, repercussions from surgery, I think were probably the two toughest things at first to, to overcome. And I expect the fact that you were 16 also added to your anxiety being so young to pick up such a deadly disease. It did. I, my family, I definitely knew of cancer. My family uh, has a history of cancer. My granddad had lung cancer. Both of my grandmothers had cancer. And so I definitely knew that that was something that could be a possibility sometime in my life, but I never, never, ever would have imagined that at 16 I would be faced with that situation. One of the most interesting things about your experience, and I've heard you give testimony to it several times, is the role that faith played in your recovery or in your whole experience. Could you just enlarge on that a bit for us? Yeah, I think faith was, was the, the central largest factor in, in dealing with that whole process. Um, I had a very great experience going through it. Um, not that it was fun or anything, but uh, I couldn't have asked for a better experience if I had to go through that. Uh, going into it, my faith was strong. I, had, I, had grew, I grew up in the church and had kind of started my personal relationship with Christ when I was in sixth grade. And uh, so I came into it with a, a pretty solid relationship with Christ. And as I went through it, um, it just got so much stronger. I, I said that when I found out, it was a sort of a state of shock. And it was almost, it was very shocking and very, um, very surprising. But there was also a sense of peace that I had um, as I found out the information that I was diagnosed with, it, that I was going to have to have surgery, that I was going to have to have treatment for it. There was always this sort of state of peace. Um, I, never, I never was really, really scared. Um, it was almost like I knew that, you know, God was watching, God had a plan for it. I didn't know what that plan was or how it was going to turn out, but I knew that he had a plan for it, and I knew that, that I wasn't going to be faced with anything that, that I couldn't handle. I know there are many, many people praying for you, including me, and I know that those prayers must have had an effect in your healing. They did. Um, I felt the support of so many people that I was close to, so many people that I was just acquainted to, so many people that I had no idea who they were, um, even people that didn't have any sort of connection with me or my family or my friends that happened to see my story somewhere. Um, it was really amazing, and I feel like I was, I've, I've been very blessed to have a supportive family, supportive friends my whole life, and so I knew that they were there to support me, but until you go through something like this, I, I don't think you re people realize how much support oftentimes we have. Uh, my church family was extremely supportive. Uh, my school was supportive. You know, the whole town, that, the people that I knew were supportive. And that was really special. That, that, uh, I felt those prayers very much, and I think my, my family and my parents did as well. Sure. Would you say that you gained any lasting lessons from this experience? I'm sure you must have gained some, but lessons that you might share with the viewers perhaps? Yeah, I did. I, I took away probably three or four things that, that I've tried to implement into my everyday life after going through this. The first thing was uh, attitude. And I found that attitude played a huge role 
through going through this whole process. Um, I knew it was going to be tough. They told me it was going to be tough going through it, but they did tell me that sometimes attitude, having a, having a positive attitude can help you deal with it a little bit better. And so I tried. I didn't really believe that, that it would help very much, but I tried to have a good attitude and I found that um, it really played a, a large part. So I've tried to, in my everyday life, when I'm faced with a difficult situation, um, you know, having a positive attitude really makes a, a big difference. And when we're faced with struggles, it, it often makes those struggles seem smaller. Um, secondly was, like we talked about, support. I learned the importance of having support and the importance of supporting others. And um, <clears throat> that's something that I, I don't think you can trade. And like I said, a lot of times you don't realize that you have that support. Um, so I've just... I encourage people to, you know, the people that you love, support them in, in what they do and um, let them know that you love them every chance you get because, because you never know when, when that may be your last chance. Um, my, uh, like I said, faith, support. And then I read in a book somewhere, it was um, a book about success in life or whatever. And the author said, when I'm tempted to ask the question, why me, I will counter that with why not me. And he said, challenges are, are gifts, they're opportunities to learn. Um, the book is called The Traveler's Gift. It's by Andy Andrews. And he just said that, you know, adversity is, is the common thread running through everyone that, that just brings opportunity for, for betterment. And so when I was faced with this situation of, you know, God, why would it be me? You know, I feel like I've lived a fruitful life for you. I feel like I've tried to stay faithful to you, and now I'm plagued with cancer, you know, and, uh, but when I look at it, I look at it, well, why not me? You know, this is an opportunity to, to have an impact on others, to, uh, to spread God's love and to, you know, to show others, um, you know, that, that it's, you know, there are a lot of people that have it worse than we do. Um, I think the kind of the lasting impression that I took away from the whole thing was, uh, and it's actually in a, in a song that I, that I wrote as I was going through the whole thing. And it said just, um, you never know when God will take you. You never know when it will be your last chance. So make the best of, of everything that you're given and live each day like it's your last. You know, and that's what you're saying is you gain a new appreciation of life through all this experience. And every time we go through some sort of adversity, as Carson said, we all gain a new appreciation of life. And as he said, we live every day to the very best we can and trust in God for his wisdom and his power and his grace. Any final thoughts, Carson? I think I would just, just leave everyone with those few ideas. You know, I always try to have a positive attitude. Always rely on the support of, of those that love you and, and support those that you love as well. Um, when you're tempted to ask why me, counter that with why not me because challenges are opportunities and gifts. And then, you know, finally just make the best of, of what you're given and live each day like it's your last. Thank you, Carson, for being with us today, and I trust that you have enjoyed Carson's word and will try to live by those words as well as the greater words that you get from Scripture. Thank you again for joining us today, and we will pray for you as well. Thank you. You 
are light, you are light When the darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sin You are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true even in my wandering You are joy, you are joy You're the reason that I sing You are life, you are life In you death has lost its sting And I'm 